This is Strange Assembly, episode 328, Gen Con 2023. Wait, what? This, I'm Chris Stevenson. It's November of 2023. Is this what my podcasting world has come to? Oh, Lord. Let's, we're just going to have to launch into that and some other old person whiny sort of things here, because, wow, yeah, I know, it's been three months since Gen Con, and I'm just now finding the time to do an actual podcast on it. There was coverage at the event, but I feel a little extra bad about this, because it's not as bad as I feel about it, but I feel like Kickstarter, like, it's this is many things in the game, but, like, Kickstarter and crowdfunding has really kind of changed how Gen Con feels with releases, right? It used to be you'd go to Gen Con and not as much as Essen Spiel, right? But this is, you know, a place where like, oh, you see the brand new game that would come out and you'd get the extra excitement of being there. But, you know, if you weren't there, it wasn't that big a deal. And because you could get the same thing in two or three months. And so I could go there and I could get excited about something new and then I could come back and I could talk about it. And if you listen to the episode a month later or two months later or a year later, you could still go out and get the exact same game. And now when you go and you go through the exhibit hall, there's too much of it. Where the question about the game is, where are you in the crowdfunding life cycle for this? Are you there trying to hype up your upcoming crowdfunding? Are you there and you're in this weird spot where the crowdfunding campaign is over, but the game isn't out yet? Is the game now out? And so it's widely available for the first time. But then the version that's widely available is not the same version that you could have gotten on Kickstarter. And it just makes it all sort of odd. And it, it ties in with the timing of this, because there's several things that I looked at, right? That they, they, they used Gen Con basically as a, a promo. And so if you don't get the coverage that I that did or the pictures or whatever right at Gen Con, me coming back and talking about it later in a podcast is irrelevant because the game already came and went on Kickstarter or GameFound or whatever it was. And it is funny. I, I think that, I mean, maybe not if you're a company, but for everybody out there who consumes board games, it's like Kickstarter is just not a great way to do it, right? Kickstarter is not about, you know, little designers and little companies getting their fledgling board games off the ground anymore, right? It It's so much this collection of over-deluxified, over-expansioned content that relies so much on that whole fear of missing out thing. And it's like we all know that it's not great to participate in this, and yet we all do it anyway. Or maybe I'm just taking my own mindset and kind of pushing it out onto the everyone who, you know, may be perfectly happy with spending $300 for a game with 300 miniatures and expansions with it and then putting it on your shelf and never getting around to playing it. I don't know. But that's enough of that. The very first thing that I did at Gen Con 2023, and so the very first thing I will talk about now that we've got my blathering out of the way, is Legend of the Five Rings. 
So there is a renewed push to actually make Legend of the Five Rings stuff. You've probably seen the video on YouTube by now where they, you know, kind of introduced all of this stuff. And so one of the things that you'll notice is that this is yet another different version of Rokugan. I think it's just the same one as the Adventures of Rokugan version, right? So this is not the exact same world as original L5R. It's also not the same world as the Fantasy Flight Games LCG and RPG version of Rokugan and Legend of the Five Rings. It is yet something different. But I did go right away over to the Legend of the Five Rings booth at Gen Con to see what they had coming out. And a lot of it so far, I think we're going to get past that, a lot of it so far is stuff that, I'll be honest with you, I don't care about. And maybe you care about it, but look, there's pins, there's statues. The statue of Tagashi, like on the wall, I love that art. It's a really cool looking statue. That's not really my jam. The map of Rokugan, okay, that might be more cool. But I do think it's good, even if I don't care about those accessories. There's still a lot of people who do. And I think that there's a lot of other more substantive content that is dribbling out and will continue to come out for Legend of the Five Rings that I'm, I'm more interested in. So something that they had I, that was brand new at Gen Con, it's now available for Wider Reese, is the art of Legend of the Five Rings. So if you went, not at the Legend of the Five Rings booth, where they didn't have things for sale, but if you went over to the Aconite booth, which is the book publishing wing of Asmodee Games, they had the Legend of the Five Rings art book there. This is art from the Fantasy Flight era. And I had been waiting for this to come out. They had it for the first time at Gen Con. I snapped it up. Classic Gen Con experience, right? It's sold out pretty much right away. In fact, the Aconite stock of Legend of the Five Rings books generally, like the novels, that all sold out on the first day. It wasn't new except for the art book, but they sold all of it out, which I am heartened by the enthusiasm that still sticks around for Legend of the Five Rings. The art book is really good. I have taken a fancy to art books. I mean, I like posters and prints and things I can hang on my walls. Those are nice, but there's a finite amount of space. So I really like a book that kind of packs that together and, and allows me to store it more compactly. So if you if you like L5R and oh, hey, I like looking at pretty pictures of L5R is your jam. You should definitely go out and get the art of Legend of the Five Rings. The other thing that they talked about that is not going to, I think it's going to come out, you know, Gen Con next year kind of thing is River of Gold, which is a Legend of the Five Rings board game. Now, this isn't the first time somebody took a stab at a Legend of the Five Rings board game, but, you know, always a thing I'd like to see people taking a stab at again. And River of Gold is a Euro game that is set in Legend of the Five Rings. So this is not a, oh, we're going to try to create the L5R combat experience like we did with the miniatures game or, or something like that. This is River of Gold, right? It's a river. You are sailing trading ships down the river. As you are doing this, your randomizer is some dice rolling, which kind of dictates how far you can go down the river. And as you, and as the different players move at different paces down the river, you can kind of claim different spots along the river as sort of your trading post now. 
and then when other people come by and they collect the resources from where they are on the river, well, they'll get more, but then you'll get a little kickback, you know, that sort of classic. I mean, that must have been done before Waterdeep, but right, it feels it's the sort of like building the building sort of Waterdeep feeling to me. You're moving through these six different regions, depending on, on how you roll, that affects which of your different, you know, abilities you can activate, what influence you can use, what resource you can get. We just got to play like a little smattering of this. It seemed pretty solid. It's still got all of this lead-in time to fine-tune it, which is, I think, a positive sign. I'll talk about that later. But that's, that's River of Gold, so we should be looking at a Legend of the Five Rings board game coming out next next year, and a solid one. But my biggest thing is just that I'm I'm happy to see a renewed push from Legend of the Five Rings. That also includes the first published adventure, Tomb of Yuchiban, for Adventures in Rokugan, the 5e role-playing game version of Rokugan. You can go get a separate full written review of that on our website, so I'm not going to drag into it here. Another very Gen Con experience I had, although not one I've done much in a while, was like trying to rush in and get that game that you wanted. So, like I said, the very first thing I did on Thursday is I wanted to go look at the Ledge of the Five Ring stuff, which was a lot more looking, including like a, a game demo than it was buying. So the thing that was kind of new here that I had wanted to check out as, as a buy it was Queen by Midnight by Darrington Games. It had a nifty theme. It has this really cool-looking dice tower up in the middle. It's a deck-building variant. I'm generally a sucker for deck-building games. So I went to go get that after I did all my Legend of the Five Rings stuff. And it's one of these things that's gated with like 100 copies each day. So you're like, oh, I don't get it on Thursday. And then that's the day I actually schedule for this sort of stuff. Usually, if it's something I particularly want, like I shoot for it on Thursday and I get it. But this one, I did not. We then tried again on a later day and I failed to get to the line in time because it had heated up, I guess. Right, Saturday is quite busier than Thursday. And I did finally manage to pick it up. At the end of the weekend, like, my second kid was there, so I had, like, one kid was going to try to get his own thing, and then I was trying to get my thing, and I'm, I'm rushing along with this nine-year-old in my arms trying to be one of the people who gets in line to pick up the game. So I managed to get my game, my copy of Queen by Midnight, with the, you know, extra promo cards. My other kid gets in his line and goes through and all they have him say like, oh yeah, you know how we said we were going to have an allotment of this today? Yeah, we don't. So that was different. So Queen by Midnight, it's by Darrington Press. This is, I'm given to understand some of the folks involved with Critical Role. And this is also here to perhaps kind of put the lie to my grumpy old person complaining about crowdfunding, because this is not, right, this is not a crowdfunding game. This is your classic Gen Con experience, right? You go and you get to get the brand new game first and everybody else can get the same game later. And I got some promo cards, but they're not anything mechanically distinctive. It's not like big, huge extra expansions. And, you know, it's a traditionally published game, except that a traditionally published game by some folks who don't have a super lot of experience publishing board games. So we, you kind of quickly ran into some things playing the game where it's like the rules just don't address it and I have to go online and the response is sort of like well that just didn't come up in playtesting so we didn't think to put anything about it in the rules and you're like man that is really something that even if it didn't come up in playtesting and how did it not come up in playtesting like 
The rules have to address situations like this. Like, it's a deck building game. Why does it not say in the rules exactly when you refill the card kind of stuff? And it has this gorgeous center dice tower there, like this midnight clock that counts stuff down, and you rotate the board with the tower on it. And do you know what you roll in that? Like, every once in a while, you roll 2d6. Big, huge, gorgeous dice tower. Could be like the sort of center conversation piece of a game that makes something feel really excited, kind of kicks it up from nice to exciting, and you just barely use it at all. So you know what? That was kind of a disappointment. It's Queen by Midnight. The nine-year-old ended up picking up Diced Veggies, which was a just-released game at the time by Kids Table Board Games. Diced Veggies involves starting with a little cardboard tray, and you roll all the dice into it. I say tray isn't even the right thing. It's like a, it's a frame. You roll all the dice into it, and you kind of you shift the frame to get all the dice in a rectangle off in the corner, and then you take the frame off. You have this little fake knife, and you're cutting off the different chunks of vegetables slash dice to try to get the right sort of pieces and to get different scoring. And then when it's down low enough that you can't get at all the thing that you need, or it's just low enough, period, then you grab all the dice that people have scored as they've cut them off, and you roll them all back in there. And you start over again. I mean, and it's a kid's game. This is not uh, any sort of weightiness to that. But that, the, the kids enjoyed that, that literal, like, cut, right? It's not I cut, you choose. It's just I cut and I take. But there's a little of this, I mean, obviously, very fake knife to cut the vegetables. So I thought that one was successful. We did get the chance to play one night a prototype copy of witchy cakes by mage hand press this is one of those kickstarter games that i was whining about so this is one of those those things that was in the realm of it already happened on kickstarter but it hadn't come out yet but we got to play that anyway and this is one that is not one of those if you don't do the kickstarter like you've completely missed out on the super mega everything expansion it's just a light little card game where you're stacking up cakes and then throwing pieces of cake at each other's cakes and everybody's a trio of witches and you're there's some supernatural nonsense in there and we played this with both kids and adults and everybody liked it you can find a full review on the website that is witchy cakes by mage hand something i've done more of in my life lately as you can tell from the contents of strange assembly over the last few years is role-playing games i've kind of shifted back more into that. But Gen Con has definitely shifted more to that because it is easier for me to find a role-playing game that I can play with my, you know, then 12-year-old or 11-year-old as opposed to a board game. Yeah, there are certain role-playing games like I'm not going to go play Vampire. I'm not going to go play Monster Hearts with the kid. But there's a lot of, you know, there's D&D and other variants of that. And so, and so we played two newer role-playing games, the Everyday Heroes role-playing game and the Marvel role-playing game. The Everyday Heroes role-playing game is basically take your D&D 5th edition framework, but instead of a fantasy game, it's just a modern setting. So, right, I guess it's 5th edition of D20 modern-ish. I'm sure the designers, you know, maybe don't appreciate that simplistic sort of description, but right, that's your bare-bones framework of it. And you have different character classes and skills and all that, but you have your central idea still of you're rolling a d20, you're trying to hit a target number advantage, let you roll two dice, that sort of thing. 
and specifically what we played was an adventure based on Night at the Museum, a movie that I have never seen and know nothing about except that it involves Ben Stiller in a museum. I'm presumably overnight based on the title. But I, I think that, that that experience worked pretty well. And specifically, though, that one, of course, it's not just the game Everyday Heroes, which you could use in a broad and flexible way. This was sort of a an early prototype version, I think, of what they were hoping to make as one of their cinematic adventures. So they have the Everyday Heroes core book, which is just, you know, a D20 role-playing in the modern world. But then they have a bunch of cinematic adventures. There's one based on The Crow, and there's one based on Kong, and there's, uh, you know, a whole bunch of them coming out. And these are actually kind of neat. It's not, it's it's like, let's not do this whole thing where we take one movie and try to make a whole role-playing game out of it when really that world maybe doesn't have enough there and you're like kind of asking somebody to invest in a whole new line it's it's let's take this system you know and let's do an adventure or a campaign you know a short campaign kind of thing in this world that yeah there's something cool about the crow and we can kind of play adjacent to that but oh you know come on right there's you have to just really warp that entirely, what you're going to make everybody a crow and then come up with this entire extra stuff that's not in the movie to try to maintain some three-year-long campaign. I kind of like this sweet spot that they're aiming for where you get to do the tie-in with this movie or TV show or whatever it is that you like without having to go whole hog into some big whole new game. Again, I, I, I like that. I mean, it's not that I don't have on my shelf a number of whole games that are trying to be whole entire games based on one thing, but I'm way more likely to actually get to play, you know, a cinematic game based on Buffy. Not that they're coming out with that, but, you know, as opposed to the, like, Buffy and Angel role-playing games that I have sitting on my shelf, right? Those are never going to get played. But if somebody got a license and made a Buffy 5e adventure, well, that's much more workable. So I think that's an interesting place to go. Now, the other one we played was the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game, right? It's their D616. For those of you who don't get the cutesy reference, Earth-616 is the mainline Marvel Universe. The mechanic involves rolling three six-sided dice, but one of them is special. And, you know, it was okay. There was an awful lot going on to try to play this game in a one-shot. Every character had just stacks and stacks and stacks of abilities on the character sheet. And we, we spent so much time going back to the rulebook to try to look up what all of these abilities did. Now that's going to fade away once you get used to it, but it made it rough for one shot. But the other thing that came up, which seems hard to deal with as game master, and you really think about it, is just the broad scope of powers. And maybe this goes away if you make characters and you force them to be all the same power level and you kind of cut things off. But we were kind of going through this adventure that was designed to show you different aspects of the system and how this worked and that worked. And it was like going through an old Dungeons and Dragons dungeon wherever like half the team can teleport and fly, right? It just completely made a hash out of all the plans that were laid out in this adventure. It would be some challenge we're supposed to do, and somebody's like, oh, I'm Nightcrawler. I just teleport over there. 
I don't know if it's entirely fair, right? Like, it's still one of those things where I would like to take a shot at playing a full-fledged version of that game, maybe with custom-crafted characters and the existing superheroes or their NPCs who come in, but this particular go we had at it was kind of rough, so it, it, it sort of... Eh, it went from being something like, oh, I might buy that, to like, well, I would have to try and uh, this again before I'm willing to go out and, and sink some cash into it. I don't know, that was the, the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game. We got a chance to play a little bit of Ayla and Something Shiny from Northstar Games. This is a cutesy story game. You start off in the woods with all your sort of friends and you have this little deck of cards and each card comes up and it's the decision and maybe you want to go get a job so you you run errands for somebody and you get some money. Or maybe you want to go out in the fields and then you get a Karen. Those are kind of the basic things. And those just kind of get shuffled back in to the deck for you to encounter on your next day maybe. But then there are more important story things like which person do you help out? And then that adds different. If you don't help this person out, you're going to add this one card to your deck. You help the other person out, you add the other. And you maybe don't know exactly how that's going to work out. It's not heavy. Again, this is a, I mean, I, what I mean storytelling heavy-wise, at least not the stuff that we saw. This is, is definitely aimed at a, a, a cutesy kid sort of thing. But I do like story in the board games. And for me, having it be in this kid-friendly package is nice because that lets me then play it with my kids who are the people who are most likely to want to repeatedly play a story-based board game with me. Like, I've got the big, huge, massive Vampire the Masquerade chapters. I can't play that with my kids. I, I, mean, I like it, but I can't play with my kids. So it's it's harder to get to the table like that over and over and over again play that you want to get it out to, you know, to finish through the story. So I think that's worth checking out if that sort of thing is appealing to you. The mechanics seem smooth. The art was nifty. That was Ayla and Something Shiny by Northstar. I mentioned Vampire the Masquerade, Renegade. It was obviously there. Renegade has kind of turned into this machine that is generating Right. Some of it's like licensed contact, right? If you really like Transformers, wow, they're the place to go. But now they've also added on the sort of classic game content. There's a lot of things that it's been sitting around and kind of laying fallow because Wizards of the Coast slash Hasbro is kind of focused on big gigantor moneymakers. You know, how much can we milk out of Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons? Both, but both games that I sink time and money into. But there's other things that they've had out there, like Robo Rally, like Axis and Allies, like Diplomacy. And some of those I like, and some of those I don't. I like Robo Rally. I hate Diplomacy with a burning passion. I hate that game. But it's a classic, and there are a lot of people who do like it. And now Renegade is going and it's publishing new versions of these games, either just like, well, here's your classic, or let's look and see what other cool iterations we can make on these games. We're going to have some iterations of those games coming back into print. Some of them I have from back when they came out the first time. But again, it's even if, even if I don't need it, it's nice to see that sort of stuff getting out there. They continue to make contacts for Vampire the Masquerade Rivals. Werewolf the Apocalypse is out now. I swear at some point we'll get back to some World of Darkness content on the YouTube channel. They had a more fully fleshed out preview copy of the gigantic, fancy, and also expensive version of the Book of Nod. 
you're getting like a skull. You're getting all of these art cards and postcards. You're getting some reprints of old material. And, and, and again, except for, except for some handwritten notes like on the postcards, this isn't new stuff, right? Because they did not want to gate. Here's a whole other book's worth of material behind this higher price point luxury item. But they did a, a good job of kind of pushing more into it. it. It again, I mean, you have to be like really into this, which is it's just the point. But they have made it in a way that it's if that's your jam and if you've got the cash, you can splash and get this really fancy version of all of these things, including all this old content, like kind of pulled together in one place, but while also not gating it behind the paywall, essentially, which I appreciate. Another company that had a lot of new stuff coming out that they were showing off was Pandasaurus. But out of all of it, I think the one that I liked the best was Emerge. And in Emerge, you are islands, I guess. Each of you is a, a collection of islands, right? There is a stretch of water that is the board. And over the course of the game, you will be growing your islands up from the seabed floor. And then after you grow your islands a little bit, right, you want to start to populate them. And the bigger they are, the more you can put on them, and you get more points for, well, okay, yeah, it's nice to have some plants and birds, but if you could have plants and birds and, like, crabs and a turtle, you know, now that starts to rack up your points, as is fairly standard for these sorts of things, right? You've got public objectives. So each game, there are some variable objectives to try to get to first. In one game, you might be trying to play multiple bonus cards in a turn. In other games, you might be trying to get the first to get multiple islands that have every single thing on them. Or you might be trying to get like four different islands that all just have the basic stuff on them. And that kind of pushes you in different directions. There is the usual kind of like trying to get there first. There's also some take that because you could try to yank the birds away from other people's islands. Like there's a small number of birds that are out there on the mainland or something you can attract out but if after the, after a certain point the other way to get birds is to attract people from other people's islands so there's, there is some take that in there but that one worked pretty smoothly it was emerge by pandasaurus games there was also from hachette board games had in the footsteps of darwin this is not the only darwin themed game to come out recently i swear i will get around to finding time to playing the uh, darwin themed game i got off kickstarter but that's not what this is. So in the footsteps of Darwin, you have a grid on the board that everyone is using. And Darwin's ship is like going around the edge of this 4x4 grid of tiles. On your turn, when you move the ship, you can then pick a tile that is either in the appropriate row or column, depending on where the ship is around the edge. And then you are putting that in your book. Like it's, you know, it's like a notebook where you're keeping track of all the different species that you've seen. And this is kind of like a super set collection game. There's different animal types. There's different continents. There's different symbols on there. Some of the tiles are the famous scientists that you're trying to put together. The game's on a clock. Whoever has the most point at the end wins. But it's definitely one of these, you can't get everything, right? You're not going to get seven species from Africa and also one of everything and also meet this, right? You've got to pick and choose which of the different scoring methods you're going to go on, which of these little extra bonus books that you get that are going to influence you to push in a certain way. You're going to have to adjust your strategy based on where the ship ends up and how much ability you have to shift it around before you have to pick. 
Well, I thought it all worked well together. That's In the Footsteps of Darwin by Hachette. Another game is interesting that I liked that I saw the first time was Retrograde. This is by Resonim Games, who seem to specialize in cool concepts and cool aesthetics. I mean, that doesn't mean the games aren't good, but they always really stand out. Like, I still, Surrealist Dinner Party. Who else is going to put out a game like that, right? So Retrograde is themed around playing an old video game. You know, your Space Invaders or something. There's aliens coming down from the top. And the basic mechanics are multiple people are rolling dice at the same time. And then once one of them is done rolling, everybody's on a timer to finish up their rolling. You're just kind of rolling repeatedly until then. And right, you're trying to put together sets of dice to let you shoot down a string of the aliens that are coming in, depending on what your objectives are. You may want to get different colors of aliens. The gameplay was, look, it wasn't like super amazing. You've got lots of options. If you think old video games are dumb, you're not going to care about this one. But it had nice gameplay and it had a really fun theme. So if you like that theme, that's probably something worth playing around with. That's Retrograde by Resonant Games. The last sort of board games I wanted to talk about is that WizKids had a few new ones. Now, if you talk to me about WizKids, you're mostly going to hear about pre-painted miniatures because I I love me some of the pre-painted miniatures. They're affordable and they do a really good job. But they also have board games. And two of the new ones that they had here were Trials of Tempest and Black Alert. Trials of Tempest is their latest sort of big size D&D miniatures full game. The normal version does not have the super fancy pre-painted miniatures. The more expensive, and it is more expensive version, does. This is the sort of latest entry if you want to try one of their fun... I'm not playing D&D, but I do want my fantasy party running around killing monsters sort of thing. Trials of Tempest is your latest entry into that. Black Alert is completely different. Black Alert is set in Star Trek Discovery. This is when you're still going around through mushroom teleportation networks. It's the Discovery, and, and then the folks from the Mirror Universe hunting them. Very asymmetric. You can try to like infiltrate each other's ships. You can try to complete objectives. It captures a very paranoid feel to the game. If you're familiar with the show and kind of what that episodes were and how that vibe is supposed to be. This will really hook you in. That is Black Alert from WizKids Games. And the last thing I want to throw out there, although I'm going to acknowledge in advance this is kind of dumb without visuals, is my kids love Hero Forge. They do it a little less now, but there was a stretch in time where they would just like go on Hero Forge and just make dozens and dozens of characters. Like the image, I can't afford to buy dozens and dozens of Hero Forge miniatures. But they actually had a booth where you got to go check things out and you could see like a normal version of the character and the color version of the character and then like a big size version of the character and then the 2D acrylics version of the character. All of these are things that right you could make. They have their, their really nifty pride display of miniatures based on color. And my kids got a kick out of being able to see all of these really cool miniatures. This is definitely a pricier option than something like buying a pre-packaged miniature from WizKids, but it is still really cool. If you're going to be playing your campaign and you know this is your character, and if you're like me, you know, you can get really invested in those, it's really nifty to have this miniature that does exactly what you want. And so even though obviously Hero Forge can't, you know, you can't, it's not something you can go in the booth and buy anything, 
it was still nifty to see all of the in person all of these different iterations of their products anyhow that is some of what we did at gen con 2023 jay wasn't here but you can probably assume that he just did a lot of true dungeon and he can tell you about like what his favorite tokens were if you send him an email or something but that was my gen con 2023 i will also be at pax u 2023 i'll anticipate being at gen con 2024 looking forward to it but you have been listening to strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there. You can also find us at any of your usual pod-catching services. You can find us on Amazon. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us wherever. If you are on any of these things and you like what's left of this show, feel free to give us a rating You know, on the off chance that there's someone who's still trying to discover us. You can also find us at your usual social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Strange Assembly. You can also reach out to me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I'd like to hear your comments and feedback. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.